Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. There's no other end. But they never learn. Let me give you an example. I was hired to find a thief, and I did, a thousand miles from home. But first I found a lush with a luger, a fresh corpse in the closet, and all because the only woman in sight wouldn't play fair. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Unfair Lady. knock on my office door was soft, almost apologetic. So when I mumbled come in, I was ready for something delicate and about as self-effacing as Uriah Heep. But when the door swung open, I knew exactly how wrong I could be. The gentleman was maybe 40, gray at the temples with shaggy eyebrows and a military mustache, and built like a heavy cruiser with a pair of catcher's mitts for hands. I'm Elliot Florey, Mr. Marlowe, Mr. Ira Bjornson's secretary. Are your services available, sir? That all depends on what you and Mr. Bjornson want me to do, Flory. What's the job? Well, specifically, sir, to catch a thief. Hmm. May I sit down? Please? Oh, of course. Thank you. Mr. Bjornson is being robbed systematically of diamonds. Are they disappearing from Astorians or is somebody robbing his wife? No, 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 Mr. Marlowe. You see, sir, Mr. Bjornson owns and operates the Bjornson Mines, a relatively new but important deposit of Kimberlite Pipe. Kimberlite asked... which? Kimberlite pipe, Mr. Marlowe. Oh. The geological term of the diamantiferous blue ground which yields the minerals. Oh, oh of course, diamantiferous. Mm. Oh, last November, sir, the 21st to be precise, you worked for Mr. Craig Norton, a mining engineer who lived here in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. He recommended you to my employer. Now, Mr. Marlowe, will you take the job? I don't know. You still haven't said anything about the stealing itself. Is it a Bjornson representative here in Los Angeles who's coming up minus? It's Mr. Bjornson himself who's being robbed, Mr. Marlowe, at the mine proper. Oh, I see. And he wants me to, uh... Yeah, oh, wait a minute. This mine, this diamond mine, wouldn't be in South Africa. <laughs> no, sir, it wouldn't. It's oh. at Rislow. It's a hamlet a hundred miles south of Nogales. South of where? Nogales, Mr. Marlowe. There's a city in Arizona a few hours' drive from Tucson at the Mexican border. Oh, now, look, Mr. Flory, I'm a private detective in the city of Los Angeles who's at home in a... In a barn, a back alley, or sometimes uh, with a blonde. Not in rural Mexico, is that clear? Oh, yes, sir, perfectly. Also, it's something that Mr. Bjornson anticipated. I refer to your reluctance to make the trip, sir. To Mr. Bjornson in Rislow, Los Angeles, is the nearest metropolis where a dependable private detective could be found. To you in Los Angeles, Rislow is a new world. Therefore? Therefore, Mr. Marlowe, these papers. The first is your plane reservation, De Lux Passage, leaving tonight for Nogales, where you will be met and chauffeured across the border to Rislow. You know, you tossed that off like it was transferring from the red bus to the E-car downtown. It's less complicated, sir, I'm sure. It is. Now, these other papers, Mr. Marlowe, are both checks, each for $500. One is your fee, the other for expenses, not including your air travel. Your decision, sir. Oh, well, my decision, Mr. Flory, is that for 500 bucks plus Rislow is plenty cosmopolitan for me. I'll go. You'll go. I'll go. At 
At eight the next morning, we dropped gently out of the clear sky over Nogales, where I was met by a short, round Mexican who ushered me into a car labeled Bjornsen Mines and suggested that I sleep for the next three hours, which was the travel time to Rislow, 100 miles south. So after 30 minutes of panoramic dry, sandy hills and occasional cactus, I did. When I woke up again, it was better than noon, hotter than Hades, and we were parked at a filling station in Rislow itself, which could have passed for home if you happened to be a prairie dog. It wasn't until I had my eyes wide open that I realized that the man leaning on the running board inches away and staring at me like my eyebrows were on upside down was not my driver. He was shaggy hair all around an unshaven, unpleasant face that was home to a pair of watered eyes that said he was drinking himself to death. And when he talked, I knew it was on cheap <laughs> rum. You're the new mining engineer, maybe? Yeah, I didn't know it showed. Since you're an American, that means you gotta be an engineer. Oh. No other Americans come out this way. I'm an American myself, you know, from uh, Philly. <laughs> Good old Philly. Yeah, it's a great town. What's for sale, hot transits? <laughs> no. No, it's just been friendly. Mm. Name's Calder, M.J. Calder. Uh, I'm staying over at the Granada Hotel for a while. Uh, first floor rear. Uh, why don't you look me up some night? Any night along about eight. I used to be an engineer myself. Might too fat a while. Um. Yeah, yeah, we might do that. So, well... I'll look forward to it. So long, pal. When my driver and I were back on the hot dirt road, I was told the Bjornsen mine was the open pit type, a deep hole about a half mile in diameter in the middle of the Bjornsen property, which was clearly circled by 11 miles of eight-strand barbed wire fence, which was guarded by 50 ex-GIM Mexicans who were under the iron fist of one Captain Juan Lufino. Twenty minutes later, when we entered the main gate and were slowly driving up a neatly landscaped white pebble road, I got a different picture of life at the Bjornsen Mines. It was the residential side, plush and strictly Beverly Hills, and the sprawling red brick house past the green and white tile swimming pool to the guest house beyond. Inside, I found the multimillionaire himself. It was a bald 50, perspiring and shaped like a bowling pin. At 10 o'clock last night, Marlowe, it happened again. $5,000 worth of stones. The seventh robbery in as many weeks, excluding, of course, the usual trickle. The usual trickle? One or maybe $2,000 worth a month. That's stealing nobody can stop. The natives, the guards, visitors, everybody. But most of them we catch, Marlowe, because in the first place, our policing is very thorough. Mm. And second, to steal a rough diamond is one thing, but to get rid of it is something else again. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, tell me, Mr. Bjornson, these big thefts you're concerned about, do they all have anything in common? Yes. Two things, Marlowe. They always occur at night, and they are the work of somebody who knows my habits and has a good knowledge of the inside of my house. The big safe is never bothered. It is always some drawer or cabinet where I am keeping stones temporarily. I see. And, Mr. Bjornson, has anybody ever seen this thief? Last night, Helen Austin saw what could be the man running through the grounds at about 11 o'clock. She said he was tall with a lot of wavy hair. She, uh said that he was not the Mexican. Oh, by the way, Marlowe, Mrs. Austin and her husband are staying in the guest house where you will be put up. He works for you, Mr. Bjornsson? No, Kelly Austin has a mine of his own about five miles from here. Smaller than ours, but rich, nevertheless. Oh, this will be Captain Lufino. <laughs> Don't mind if he appears unfriendly, Marlowe. He considers your presence here a personal insult. <laughs> Come in. 
You wish to see me, Senor Bjornson? Yes, Lupino. This is Mr. Marlowe, the detective. Ah. When Senor Flore came back this morning, Senor Marlowe, he spoke very highly of your reputation in Los Angeles. Mr. Flore only talked to my friends in Los Angeles, Captain. Oh. Now, Mr. Bjornson, you were telling me about the Austins. Yes, they have been with us for two or three months now while their new house is being constructed at their own mine. Their last place burned to the ground. I would suggest, Marla, that you speak to her as soon as possible. Also, the captain here will tell you of some evidence that he found here on the ground last night. No, senor. It turned out to be nothing. What kind of nothing, captain? Uh, a fountain pen, yes. Uh, it belonged to one of the office workers. Uh, senor Barnes. Yes? Did you tell him about that Nat Campbell? Oh, no, uh... Marla, the International Diamond Exchange keeps us advised of the movements of the bigger black marketeers whenever possible. Three days ago, we were told that a man named Nat Campbell, an American who was at one time an engineer, has been operating in Mexico close to the border. Is there an accurate description of him? No. Anything else you have to know, Captain Lefino will take care of you. Also, I am sure that the captain will be glad to show you to your room at the guest house. Sir, it will be my pleasure to assist Senor Marlowe in any way I can. This way, Senor, please. Captain Lufino's interpretation of assist was to hand my suitcase to a boy, point a thick thumb in the general direction of the guest house, and disappear. So after thanking him for his trouble, I went to my room, unpacked, changed into a dry shirt, which was damp again in three minutes and then started for the suite on the opposite side of the building, where I'd been told I could find Helen Austin. But when I was halfway to Why a screen door, I stopped at the sound of a raised voice that I'd heard before. It was Mr. Elliot Florey who was about to leave and unhappy about the whole thing. When I was close enough to see Mrs. Austin, I could also see why. The lady was blonde, deeply tanned, just a shade off beautiful and almost dressed like in a white so linen shorts with halter to match. I told you Ellie, last night, it. You're behaving like a fool. Oh, am I? Well, you just wait a bit, my dear. We'll see who the fool is around here. Oh, yes. We... Marlowe, what are you doing out there? Calling on Mrs. Austin. Why? Do I need a visa, Flory? No. No, Mr. Marlowe. You don't need a visa. You don't need... Anything. Well, come in, won't you? Elliot was just leaving. Uh, yes, I... I have to be running along. I'll see you later, Helen. I can't wait. Well, sit here, Mr... Uh, it's Phil, isn't it? Phil Marlowe? Mm-hmm. Nice name. You know, Phil, I don't often get to see a new face around here, so anything I can do for you will be a pleasure. <laughs> I'm sure the pleasure will be all mine. But uh, aren't you afraid you'll catch cold? Why? Don't you like this? Uh-huh. I made it myself. I do most of my things, you know. Riesler styles are too far behind New York to suit me. My husband, Kelly, says I'm clever. Better than that, Helen. Kelly, what? You're resourceful. <laughs> you startled me. Uh, darling, this is Philip Marlowe. I know. Ira told me you were with us, Mr. Marlowe. Can I be of some help, possibly? No, not at the moment, Mr. Austin. Right now, I'm only interested in knowing if your wife here can add anything to a description of last night's stranger. Can you, Mrs. Austin? Why, no. If there were anything else outstanding about the man, I certainly would have told Ira. No doubt. But uh, what about the run-of-the-mill things? His dress, the way he walked? Like most men, Marlowe, he wore one pair of pants, one shirt, 
He had only one head. Also, like most men, he smelled of liquor. Rum, maybe. We all drink rum here. How about joining us in some? After dinner? Long about eight? Thanks, but uh, long about eight, I've got to be back in Rislow to see Mr. Calder. Ever hear of him, Austin? Why no? Should I have? I don't think so, no. He'd have very little in common with you people. With one exception. Which is what? Phil. Rum, Mrs. Austin. He's crazy about it. After I left Kelly and what with one healthy cloudburst ad, it would make a great Sadie Thompson. I found Ira Bjornson and told him that I thought last night's stranger, one M.J. Calder and Nat Campbell, could be all one and the same. And that I would like to go into Rislow and check on just that, which suited him fine. So after apologizing for having just let Captain Lofino go off the evening in his car, he gave me the keys to a battered station wagon and wished me good luck. Four hours later, when it was dark and I was in Rislow and walking the dirty length of the ground floor corridor of the Granada Hotel, which was darker, I had a feeling I was going to need it. Yeah? Who is it? Marlowe Calder, the new man at Bjornson's Mine. Oh, fine. Be right with you. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't expect you to take me up so soon. Yeah, well, you know the mines, Campbell. One's just as dull as the next, huh? That's right. What did you call me? Campbell. That's it, isn't it, Nat? No. The name's Calder, M.J. I told you that today. Yeah, and at the time I believed you, good old Philly included. Come on, Rummy, uncover the masquerade's over. Open up while you still can talk. What do you say? Uh, okay. Okay, ain't the biggest secret in the world. Here, sit down. For keep... Why, you lousy lush! You don't aim any better than you lie! I had enough, I tell you. All right, we'll see. Now, come on, get up. We'll start all over again after we check you once. That kind usually has a nasty luger tucked away someplace. All right. Now, what do you know about... Hey, Campbell, that stuff over there seeping under the closet door. The color isn't right for rum, brother. It's too red. Well, Captain Lufino. Yeah, he said, Milo, so don't move. You'll be right with him. Yeah, you see, I was right, Campbell. Your kind always has a nasty luger someplace. Milo, I didn't do that. I didn't kill him. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. He committed suicide in your closet and closed the door as a gag, I suppose. That's enough. I don't try to be funny. I didn't even know he was here. I was out. When I come back, I found him. Campbell, that line retired with a flintlock rifle. If you hadn't parboiled your brains in fusel oil, you'd realize it. But it's the truth. I'll tell you what the truth is, cousin. Lafino had a piece of evidence to tab you as being out of Bjornson's mind last night at 11 o'clock. But he passed it off as a fountain pen that meant nothing because he resented me honing into his territory. Then he came here alone to put a pinch on you and get the credit. Only you dropped him instead. That's a lie. And I can prove it by the best witness in Mexico, next to Bjornson himself. Who are you talking about? One, Mr. Elliot Florey, that's who. I was in the Cafe Kilota last night at 11, and Florey saw me there. No dice, Campbell. Florey didn't get in from no galleys until this morning. <laughs> You're pretty seedy for a big city boy. Yeah? You can check the bartender at the cafe and see if I'm not right. But right now, I'm going to put you away so I can get out of here. I turn around walk slow. Out the back way and down the stairs. Go on, Move. What are you going to make my murder look like? Robbery? Don't act so brave. You'll live because I figure you'll clear me one way or another, whether you like it or not. Now, hold it. That's far enough. Now, open that cellar door. 
Okay. When you get out, don't waste time looking for me. I won't be around. So long, countryman. Don't hurt yourself. Cellar was as light and wholesome as a Parisian sewer. Even with the help of several generations of termites, it took a half an hour to break out. When I got upstairs again, it was deserted except for the late Captain Lufino. I went through his pockets, but they held nothing more exciting than battered cigarettes and some small change, but under the tight sash around his waist was a small green suede pouch containing three minute diamonds in the rough. I began to see what Bjornsson meant by the usual trickle. Everybody, including the chief of his own guard, seemed to be in on the act. I dropped the pouch in my pocket and headed for the Kilota Cafe, where two American bucks and a nasty snarl of the bartender brought me the fact that Elliot Florey actually had been there last night. Had waited two hours for somebody who didn't show up. And then left. That made my next stop the mine. So I bounced the station wagon out of town, back to Bjornson's house, and started in. But a pair of bare shoulders above a snug linen halter intercepted me. Hello. You're back safe, I see. Enjoy all the sights in our filthy, stinking little town? Not much, Mrs. Austin. You should have taken me along as a guide. I could show you lots of interesting things. Hmm. Like what, for instance? Like the sky and the moon. I like things clean, soft. I like lights and music and people. <laughs> I like you, Mama. Save it. That buttons and bows routine is strictly your own problem. I've got work, and it starts with Elliot Florey. Where is he? What makes you think I'd know that? Because you two have been keeping close track of each other for some time. You're anxious to drop it, but Florey isn't. And now he's got a hold over you, and you're worried silly. Well, and you skip did... that, too. From what I know, I can fill in a very unpleasant yawn, and I will if I have to. So come on, baby, no dramatics. Let's have it. Where's Florey? Marlo, you're a louse. But it's at you better than he is. Went over to our place of mine about half an hour ago. I don't know why he wouldn't tell me. Just warned me to keep my mouth shut and left. That doesn't make sense. Where's Mr. Austin? My good husband is off somewhere checking on supplies, he said. Okay, I'll pay a call on Flory right now. When I get back, baby, I'll have a lot of answers. So I advise you to wait up, huh? Sure. When you're all through with him, do me a favor, will you, Mr. Tough Detective? What, throw him back? No, kill him. After she said it, she stared at me for a moment and then turned and walked away. And from the bitterness in her face, I figured... She had more on her mind than she told me about. But as I beat it around to the driveway where I'd left the station wagon, climbed in and wheeled out the gate, I forgot about theories and headed for the Kelly Austin mine and a big-scale diamond thief as fast as the rutted road and loose body bolts would permit. I'd barely gotten out of sight of Bjornson's house where from somewhere out of the truckload of shadows I was hauling in the rear end of the station wagon, the muzzle of a gun was shoved hard against the back of my neck and held there. Pull over and stop, Mr. Marlowe, but don't take your hands off the wheel. Austin, you're off your rocker. You've been working too hard. Not so hard that I didn't get back in time to see you kissing my wife. You don't deny it, do you? Well, for what it's worth, you got your subject backward, but never mind don't that. Don't turn around, Marlo. I'm sorry about this. I liked you when we met today. Now, listen. We'll take this up later in detail. Right now, I'm after a guy who's been biting into Bjornson's diamonds, and I'm sure it's his own secretary, Elliot Florey. Florey? Well, that's absurd. Yeah? And what's more, he's currently up to something cute at your mine. He's at my mine, Florey? That's what I said. Now, after I've seen him, Buster, I'll be indignant with you all night if you like. You're a clever liar, Marlowe, but it won't work. You're not getting out of this that easily. I'm going to tell Bjornson what you've done, but first, you cheap masher, I'm going to get some satisfaction out of you personally like this! Oh! First. First one, 
one side of my head, and then the other exploded like Roman candles. I fell a long way out of the car door to the road. When I finally stopped falling and started back to my feet, I had a double handful of Mexico in my mouth. All the rest of it I could see looked big and black and deserted. The station wagon was gone, and so was my enthusiasm, and the picture of Marlo on foot in the middle of the Mexican mountain looked pretty stupid. I trudged back toward the house. But I stopped as a pair of headlights swung out the gate and slashed down the road at me. Came to a sandstorm halt. What happened to you? It's a long story, Mrs. Austin. The less you hear about it from me, the better for all of us. What do you mean? That Kelly, your husband, was watching when you wanted to show me the Mexican sky and the moon up there at the house. It was just a teensy bit irate about it. Oh, is that all? That's enough. What about Florian in the mine, Marlowe? How should I know? When I got tangled up as a heavy in this corny gaslight melodrama, I... You... Wait a minute. Did you... Did you put that jacket on since I saw you last? No, what's the matter? Come over here in the light. Come on! Sure. <laughs> Listen, Helen, you told me once sewing was your hobby. Did you happen to make this item yourself? Yes, I made it. What's so important about uh-huh, that? Aren't you long shot, but if it pays off, I'll catch both a killer and a diamond thief. I'm going to borrow your car, beautiful. Wait a minute. I'm coming with you. No, you're not. I've got to get Florian and stop a murder, and that takes a different kind of speed than you've got. So long, baby. With every jolt of the car, another Roman candle went off in my head, but I kept the gas pedal jammed to the floor until I saw the turnoff sign for the Austin mine. Then I cut the lights and pulled over. It was 400 yards up the side road to the gate where a Mexican sentry in a battered sombrero leaned against a post on a barbed wire barricade. I skirted him and followed a path outside the fence until I found the landmark I was looking for. There was another sombrero, and a few feet away, sprawled out, sleeping soundly from a blow on the back of his head, was its owner. Two strands of the barbed wire had been cut, so I crawled through and up to the edge of the big pit. It looked black and bottomless until a tiny flicker of light down deep inside winked on for an instant and then went out again. That was my cue. But I was 15 tooth and nail minutes playing mountain goat on tiptoe down 150 vertical feet of ladders and catwalks before I was near the bottom and close enough to hear a pick biting hard clay. When it stopped suddenly, so did I. And listened with my 38 clenched in my hand. But Flory had been surprised by someone from the bottom of the pit, not by me. Austin. Austin, how did you... No, no, no. Don't shoot, Austin, please. Why not, Mr. Flory? You found what you were looking for, didn't you? Didn't you? Yes. Yes, I did. And what precisely did you find? That my mind has run out? That it's worthless? That I've kept it going only with stolen diamonds? That's right. I suspected it. Now I know. You're the one who's been stealing from Bjornsson. You bring the diamonds here, you salt your own ground with them, and then remine them as fresh stone. And get the full market price, yes. But what do you hope to achieve with this information now, Mr. Flory? You realize that I have to kill you? No, wait. I have nothing against you, Kelly. In fact, I have a proposition to offer you. You're in a poor position to bargain, but go ahead. Now, you'll never get away with killing me. Won't I? I got away with one murder, Bruno. He would have found out about me eventually because I made a mistake last night. But that sot Campbell will take the blame for him. And right now, you're just another trespasser, so make your offer. Make it good. Go on, go on. All right. I, I promise you, no one will ever know about this. If you'll get out of Mexico... Leave Helen here with me. You dirt! I'm not gonna shoot you, Flory. I'm gonna strangle you with my bare hands! I gotta turn my back and let you. Yes, cools out. Drop it, Austin. Stand still, both of you. No, it's too late for that! You you hit him, Marlon. You got him. I I think he's dead. Yeah. And I got something for you, Flory. 
I hope I can get the slime off my fist. Please, Marlowe, pour yourself another here. It'll help your headache to go away. Oh, thanks, Mr. Bjornson. It's cooler out here than it was inside. It's better now, thanks. Uh, I don't know. I am happy and I am sad both. You found me my thief, all right, but you lost me a friend in the bargain. Mm -hmm. And the way we live out here, our friends are as dear as our diamonds. Well, there's one thing about diamonds, Mr. Bjornson. They won't go bad on you. You're right there, my boy. It's hard to realize that Kelly often was our man. Yeah, I imagine it is. You said it was Helen's jacket that gave you the answer. How was that, Marlowe? Well, Lufino was carrying a little green suede pouch. Mm -hmm. I thought it was his. But actually, that was a piece of evidence that he found last night. It wasn't until I saw Mrs. Austin's jacket of the same green suede that I realized the pouch must have been made from the scraps left over from the jacket. I see. And since the wife sewed the jacket herself, that made the husband the logical owner of the pouch. That's right. You know, in a way, you might say Helen's responsible for the whole mess. How do you mean, Marlowe? Well, it all adds up like this. Helen wanted diamonds bad. Her husband started stealing for her. Things went well until he almost got caught. That was last night, huh? That's right. Running across the lawn, Kelly dropped a little pouch. Lafino, who caught sight of him, followed and found the pouch with the three diamonds. But Captain Lafino thought Campbell was the thief and went to Campbell's quarters in result to force a confession out of him. Mm -hmm. Kelly followed him, killed him before he learned too much, knowing that the rum-soaked Campbell would take the rap. That Austin woman, she's got no business here in this desolation. She loves diamonds, but not in the rough. No. She wants them around that beautiful neck of hers, with big city lights bouncing off them in all directions. <laughs> but the lady wouldn't play fair to get them. Mm. She's packing now. And Mr. Flory has already left bag and baggage. Even Lufino is gone now. You know, it's going to be lonely around here, Marlowe. I couldn't prevail on you to stay over a while. No, no, Mr. Bjornson, I'm afraid not. I'd probably catch myself picking little pebbles out of every clay bank I found. And the first thing you know, I'd be stuck here, too. Besides, what would Hollywood Boulevard do without Marlowe? And vice versa. And the driver who was taking me back to Nogales was finally ready. And we started out of the mines. I I took a long, last look down into the gaping, dirty, lonely pit that was the Bjornsson Diamond Field. And then, as we headed north and for the border, I settled back and thought about my own Diamond Field. The one that stretched out for 50 miles from the San Fernando Valley to Long Beach in blazing brilliance. Yet, in its own way, I knew it was just as dirty, just as lonely, and just as tough as the pit at Rislow. But it was my hometown.
listen to me and never forget it. Crime is a sucker's road. And those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. There's no other end. But they never learn. It was ugly from the start this time. Vicious blackmail that mushroomed into murder and all because a wild artist on a hilltop. A man in a wheelchair and a red-haired manicurist were held too tight together. By one small ebony link. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of mystery, comes his most famous character and crime's most deadly enemy as we present... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Ebony Link. I'd spent a dismal day tracking down another wise guy who thought he could see fast money over the sights of a 45, but it ended up like they all do. He was flat on his face in an alley, his life dripping into a sewer. It was what he deserved, and the only feeling I got from it was that I wanted a bath bad. So I went home, but when I stepped out of the elevator and started down the hall, I knew I'd have to postpone it. Because leaning on my doorbell was a redhead who looked very good from a distance. But she lost ground with every step I took. Because the closer I got, the more I saw of a mouth shaped by indecision eyes that were nothing but masquerade caginess and shallow green, and flashy clothes that carried the kind of bargain basement label you can't tear off. Good evening. Looking for me? Yeah, you're a private detective named Marlowe. I am? Come on in. Have a chair, Miss... Uh, uh, Johnson, thanks. What's your difficulty, Miss Johnson? Oh, it's not me. It's my sister up in Santa Barbara. Can you go there right away, 812 Seaview Road? Uh, maybe you should tell me what it's all about, huh? Well, uh, she loaned a gentleman friend of hers some money. And... Okay, okay. That's enough of the sister act, baby. What's the gag? Gag? Why, I, I don't think I understand. Number one, there's no 812 on Seaview Road. It runs into the ocean at the 600 block. I know. I used to live there. But, but number I... two, when picking a phony name, Johnson is the second most popular in the book. Yeah, but... And I... number three, baby, me hiring out as a patsy of any kind is lousy for my business. So you better... Stick him up. Oh, no. I mean it. And I'll shoot if you follow me. Okay, kid, just don't slam the door on your way out. She backed out fast, pulling the door closed as she went. I gave her five seconds head start and then looked in time to see the top of her hat disappearing down the stairs. But before I could follow her, the elevator gate slid open and a dapper man with a square face I'd seen somewhere before hailed me. Certainly glad I found you, sir. Remember me? Ramsey, Mr. Ivan Pack's chauffeur. Oh, yeah. He wants to see you, sir. Says it's very urgent. Yeah, but I... Well... Okay, Ramsey. Where's Mr. Pack now? Waiting downstairs in the car, sir. I'll oh. show you. We tried your office first, but it was locked. We were afraid you might have gone out of town. You aren't going, I hope. Uh, no, no, but it was close. By the way, how is Mr. Pack these days? Still confined to his wheelchair? Yes, sir. But he gets around fairly well with me to help him, of course. Mm-hmm. What's the matter, Mr. Marlowe? Looking for someone? Not exactly, Ramsey. Chances are she ducked out the back way and still running. Oh, I beg your pardon, sir. This way, Mr. Marlowe. Here we are. Oh. Hello, Ivan. Get in, Marlowe. Thank goodness we found you. Well, just, just drive around the block, Ramsey. Yes. He said it was urgent. Is it really that bad? Yes, it is. Roll up the glass there, Marlowe. It's best if even Ramsey doesn't hear this. Okay. That's it. Well, Marlowe, I'm being blackmailed again. Huh? It happened six months ago for 10000 
This time it's 50000 Brother, what have they got on you, Evan? What's the lever? The lever is that I happen to love my wife, Leona. But I happen to feel it's my duty as a husband to protect her reputation and shield her from heartbreak. I still don't get it. Marlowe, I tell you this because you're the only person I can trust. Leona spent a year in prison back east when she was a kid. But that's nothing to be ashamed of or your life. I know, I know. Take it easy. I'm, I'm sorry. Bluntly, I can't afford to throw that much money away. On the other hand, if I don't pay, they threaten to expose Leona as a jailbird. She couldn't stand that, Marla. Mm-hmm. I know her. She ran away the first time this happened. She said she wouldn't be that kind of burden to me. If she finds out about this new demand, she may do something even more desperate. Blackmail's always tough. Who's doing it? I don't know. More, all we have to go on is this letter. Let's see. Here. It's got an L.A. postmark. The stationery is a high grade that doesn't match that cheap envelope. Mm-hmm. And the top of the page has been cut off, see? Yeah. Strange backhand, too, huh? Hey, hey this demands a payoff by 12.30 tonight. Why didn't you give me more time? I just got the letter this afternoon. Yeah. Look, Marlowe, I realize what you're up against. Try, try, will you? Find out who wrote that letter. I have two alternatives. Pay him, kill him. Well, I'm no killer. I'll pay if I have to. But maybe, with luck and your help, we can find a soft spot in his armor. What do you say? Well, I'll try. Don't take any bets, Ivan. Ivan said he'd be in his office all night, then dropped me off at home where I got in my own car, pulled around a big gray sedan in the driveway, and hauled a small sample of the blackmail stationery into the police lab. There I got a break. The boys had it classified in 30 minutes, and after another 30, handed me the names of two business houses and 12 hotels in the city that used it. Too many to check in the time allowed, so I called Ivan Pack and started down the list. He stopped me at the fourth hotel, which was the Beverly Crest, with the word that his wife, Leona, had spent a lot of time and money shopping in the hotel's exclusive arcade. So I drove out to the Beverly Crest watching a big gray sedan in my rearview mirror most of the way. But in the hotel, I killed another hour drawing blanks even at the writing room blotters. Until on the way out, I got another break. The beauty shop was closing for the night, and inside, slipping a coat over her manicurist uniform, was a redhead. The same redhead who had tried to sack-track me to Santa Barbara. I followed her out of the hotel, and when she got around to the back, I stopped her. <laughs> What do you want? I got curious about your sister, sister. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't have a sister, and I never saw you before in my life. That's wishful thinking, baby. You can talk here or over a desk at police headquarters, but you're going to talk. Now, which is it? Wait a minute. No cops. All right. Okay, Marlo. Sure. I'll talk. I got a sister in Santa Barbara, all right. She's a mermaid. She comes up once a year to fish for seagulls, and she wanted you to bait the hook. Come on, come on. Straighten it out. You're smack in the middle of a lot of trouble, and it's getting deeper fast. Believe no, me. No, I'm not, wise guy. You're in the middle. In fact, you got trouble right behind you. Stop oh! By the time I got untangled from the ash cans, all I could see was the back of a big gray sedan taking a corner so fast I only caught the last three numbers of his tag. 440. But as I stood up and dusted myself off, I saw something black and shiny. It was a five-sided ebony cufflink. I dropped it in my pocket as I went inside the hotel again. A fiver to a bellhop got me the manicurist's real name, Rhea Fleming. But even a ten-spot failed to raise her address, so I called my client again tried Rhea's name on him. When that missed, I asked permission to go and see Leona about it. That got me 60 seconds of argument, ten of dead silence, and finally a very reluctant okay from Ivan. Twenty minutes later, I pulled up at 94 Camden Drive, in front of a house sprawling in Spanish that was home to Ivan and Leona Pack. 
and the delicate dark girl with the shy gray eyes who answered the door was Leona herself. Yes? I'm uh, Philip Marlowe from the Sequoia Credit Adjusters, Mrs. Pack. I'm told you patronize a manicurist, Miss Rhea Fleming at the Beverly Crest Hotel. Why, yes, occasionally. Is, is anything wrong? Oh, no, no, nothing serious at all. May I come in? Oh, of course. I'd like to ask you a few questions about Miss Fleming. Well, I, I really don't know her very well. Oh, I understand that. But you might know where she lives, for instance, huh? Well, I did happen to drop her off one evening oh? at the corner of Sunset and Mariposa, I think. Oh, won't you sit down, Mr. Oh, Marlowe? thanks. Uh, where did she live before she came to Los Angeles? I, I have no idea. You don't, huh? Well, do you happen to know if she writes in a heavy, angular backhand? A heavy... A- mm-hmm. Mr. Marlowe? May I see your credentials? Why, of course, if you wish. No, don't bother. It's happened again, hasn't it? Ivan's received another letter, and I'm... Who are you, really? Private detective working for Ivan. Oh, that's a cheap trick, I admit it. But we wanted to keep this from you, Leona. I won't let it happen. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Listen to me. Ivan's doing everything possible to stop this business. Now, give us a chance. You're running away now. It would be the worst thing you could do to it. Oh, terribly unfair, Mom. We're on your side. Don't you understand that? And you're in a position to help us, if you will. Marlowe, is it... Is it Rhea Fleming? Well, she's in on it, but not alone. She doesn't have the brains. But whoever is behind it belongs to this ebony cufflink. Uh, Ever see it before, Leona? Think hard. No. No, I haven't. Oh, it's too bad. Well, do you happen to know anybody who drives a big gray sedan? The, the license number ends in 440. Oh, that, that might be Bruce Morachek. Morachek, who's he? An artist I've been hired to do a portrait of me. Mm-hmm. Picture isn't finished yet, it may never be. Bruce is too temperamental and exacting. But why did you ask about him, Marlowe? Yeah, because I've been tailed by a gray sedan since I first started in this mess. Oh, it couldn't be Bruce. I'm sure of that. Now, we'll see. And, Leona, until you hear from me again, promise you won't do anything rash, well, huh? Where are you going now, Marlowe? Put some pressure on Rhea Fleming. Her character has all the sterling qualities of mud pie, and I think she'll crack just as easily. So long, Leon. I'll call you. In spite of what Leon had said, I still thought there might be more to Bruce Morachek than ever got on canvas. When I was out of the house and halfway to my car, I knew I'd have a chance to find out because across the street, a door flew open on a big gray sedan. And better than six feet of swarthy but handsome man clambered out and rushed toward me. It wasn't the lock of black wavy hair that dangled dashingly over one eye, but the fact that his hands were curled into very large fists. It gave me a definite demorous feeling about him, and the closer he got, the more certain I was that I'd have to let him have it first. And when he got within reach, I did just that. Hi! And why are you taking that one over, chum? Try this. How long have you had on that polo shirt? Speak up. All day. Confound you. But you don't have to knock me down to find that out, you idiot. No, it was faster that way, and I'm not through yet. You've been tagging me all night, and I don't like it. How come? You wouldn't understand. Try me. Come on. I haven't got much time. All right, all right. Until yesterday, I was working on a portrait of Mrs. Pack. Yeah? She's an exquisite subject, but I I quit because it it became impossible. Mm -hmm. She's being so upset by something or someone, she doesn't even look like the same person from one day to the next. And that's supposed to explain why you've been tailing me all over town? I told you you wouldn't understand. A portrait artist is not only a painter. He isn't, huh? He must be a psychologist, a doctor, mm. even even a detective if necessary when his subject's beauty is being destroyed before his eyes. Oh, come on. It's true. Hey. So I followed Mr. Peck to you and you to the Beverly Crest Hotel because you are up to something. I want to know what it is. Mm-hmm. Naturally, it wasn't you who put the slug on me at the hotel, huh? The what? The slug. Slug. Ah, no, no, uh. no. I saw you walk around to the back, but... 
the time I got there, a car was driving off. I thought you were in it, so I tried to follow, but I lost it. Yeah? And then I came up here. Well, let me tell you something, Morachek, for your own good and your subjects. If you're on the level, go home. And if you're not on the level, brother, you better get out of town while you still can. Good night. I looked back just before I turned the corner, and Morachek was still standing where I'd left him. So I drove out to Sunset and down to Mariposa where I parked and started walking. And why, it was more than an hour ringing doorbells, interviewing kids, husbands, and homemakers, and running down false leads before I finally found the mailbox labeled Rhea Fleming Rear in a brown stucco two blocks south. I hacked my way through the underbrush hugging the front house to a converted guest cottage in the back numbered 8811. I didn't bother to knock, I just walked in. Hey, darling, I was beginning to think you'd never get... Milo, get out! Get out of here or I'll scream! I scream louder. Who's the boyfriend you're expecting, Rhea? I don't have a boyfriend. It wasn't your grandfather that piled me up at the hotel tonight, baby. It's your last chance. Who was it? I don't seem to recall the incident you refer to, Marlowe. Now, listen, jerk. You're in a rotten blackmailing game right up to your earrings. And what's more, your extortion letter went through the mails. You get that? That's a federal rap. You can't beat it. I'm going to see that you don't because I'm sick and tired of fooling with you. You're too stupid to realize when you're licked. Federal rapper. I didn't know that, Marlowe. Who are you calling? Cops, of course. I'm through. I'm putting you out of circulation right now. No, wait. Don't do that. I'll tell you who's with me. Okay. No, I can't. Rhea, come back here, you fool. No, 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 no. Rhea. Holy smoke. Rhea. Rhea, who was it? Who did this? Gee, I, I didn't figure it'd go this far. I just didn't realize I... No, I guess you didn't, baby. One down and one to go. just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, if you like the weather here, cloudy with threats, torrid with action, showers of trouble later tonight and tomorrow, you'll find more of the same on Sundays when Danny Clover and Sam Spade go into action. Danny Clover is the thoroughly human, fast-thinking detective of Broadway is My Beat. And Sam Spade is the, well, who else but the Sam Spade of Dashiell Hammett's fertile, ingenious brain. On most of these same CBS stations tomorrow, you'll find Danny Clover prowling the Great White Way late in the afternoon and Sam Spade on the hunt in the evening. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Ebony Link. As Rhea Fleming's face relaxed in death, the gaping, frightened people who make up every street scene began to gather. And as each newcomer timidly edged forward and then caught his breath at the sight of the dead girl, and in a small, tight voice asked whoever was standing next to him what had happened, only one thought kept running through my mind. Leona's blackmailer and the murderer of Rhea were one and the same. So leaving my card with an old, toothless biddy who demanded to know why I was running away before the police arrived, I piled into my car and headed for Ivan Pack's office on La Brea. I pulled to a stop just as a chauffeur named Ramsey darted out of the building and into the family limousine, parked at the curb, and pulled away fast. But since Pack was the man I wanted to see, I dismissed the thought of a not-so-merry chase, went to the door, and knocked. Five minutes went by before my client wheeled himself out of an inner cubbyhole and opened up. And another five while I brought him up to date, blow by blow, the redhead's violent death included. 
murdered Marvel? Yeah. And for my money, the noose fits whoever she's working for, who is also the party that dropped me in the alley behind the Beverly Crest Hotel and this ebony cufflink and doing it. Ever see it before? Why, no, no, I haven't. You sure, Ivan? Sure it wasn't once holding a lot of fancy shirt together for one Mr. Morachek, maybe? Bruce? Well, why him, Marlowe? Because he's been tagging me all night. Say, tell me, Ivan, how well do you know him? I met him about six or seven months ago at my club. I, I don't remember who introduced us. Yeah, well, that fits. The blackmail started just about that time. Now, look, just to make it a little tighter all the way around... You can't recall who recommended him to you as just the right man to paint Leona's picture, can you? No, I can't. Uh-huh. But on the other hand, Marlowe, neither can I recall having heard anything bad about him. No. Now, look, you say he's been following you all night. Close enough to do a time step. What are you getting at? Just this. Was he around the place where the girl was killed? Well, to my knowledge, no. But that shouldn't mean too much because the murder happened after we had our little run-in. So he'd naturally be careful about my seeing him. Well... Besides, Ivan, he was going to commit murder, so it's a cinch you'd arrive and depart from 8811 Mariposa without fanfare. Mariposa? And I, yeah. 8811 Mariposa, Marlowe? Yeah. But that's the address I just saw on a slip of paper in Ramsey's desk. There was a phone number, too. Wait a minute. Your chauffeur's Rhea Fleming's address? Yes. Here, get hold of my wheelchair. Sure. It's that far desk there, just inside that partition. You know, Ivan, when I pulled up outside here, I saw Ramsey leave. You know where he was going? Yes, he was going to dinner. Hmm. Unless he hasn't eaten in five years, I don't think that's where he was going. He lurched from the curb like it was on fire. Here you are, Marlowe. The top drawer on the right. Hold the back. I see it. Yeah. 8811 Mariposa, all right. Phone number and nothing else except... Except this. What did you find, Marlowe? A cufflink, Ivan. Twin to the one in my pocket. And maybe a murderer who isn't named Marachek. You mean Ramsey? Yeah. Oh, no, no. That couldn't be. Why not? Ramsey's been here with me for the past two hours. So you mustn't discount Morachek or anyone else just because of this cufflink and the address. Well, in that case, no. But I can include Ramsey along with the late Miss Fleming as at least one accomplice on what's fast getting to be a very elaborate setup. Ivan, do you know where Morachek lives? Yes, at his studio, Lookout Mountain Road, mm-hmm. just off Laurel Canyon Boulevard. Laurel Canyon. Well, I don't know the exact address, but you ought to be able to get that from Leona. Yeah. Well, I'll get in touch with you later, Ivan. Hello, Leona. Now, listen hard. Did Bruce Marachek come up to see you after I left? Yes, he did. What did he say? Well, only that he'd collided with you on the stairs and that he wanted to know who you were, what mm. business you had with me. Did you tell him? Of course not. I wouldn't tell anybody anything about this. He didn't like that, huh? No, as a matter of fact, that's the reason he went home. Right away? Within five minutes. Yeah. He said he was going back to his studio and he'd be there all night if I needed any protection. But why? Is it because of something you found out at Rhea's place? No, it runs the other way. It's what I didn't find out. She was murdered, Leona. She was... Whoever's blackmailing you, I'm positive. But whether or not that's Marachek, I don't know yet. Now, look, what's the number of his place on Lookout Mountain Road, Leona? Come on, fast. Uh, 173. 173. But Thank you, and goodbye. Bro- I was 20 minutes wriggling through the thick Hollywood traffic to Laurel Canyon, then another 10 climbing Lookout Mountain Road, which was an abrupt spiral of macadam that belonged in the Alps. So when I parked away from the bay window with Ruth, that was numbered 173 started up through the junior jungle that led to the front door. It was exactly 10 o'clock. And considering the zest of my last meeting with the artist, a good time for me to be careful. So when I knocked on the heavy oak that showed splashes of yellow at the threshold, I did it with the barrel of my 38. 
When I got no answer, I tried again, louder. It was then that Marachek replied, but not as I had expected, because he was behind me. And his greeting was a fist the size of a cannonball coming at the side of my head fast. Oh! And now, Marlo, I'll take your gun here. And if I have to use it, I will. No doubt. It worked before. Huh? What are you talking about? Come on, Buster. Get off it. Jack, like a paint. Let's not waste each other's time. All right. Then inside, Marlowe, where we can get to the point fast and in privacy. Go on. All right. The door is not locked, detective. I don't know what you want here, but I'm going to find out, believe me. You can skip the thumbscrews, Rembrandt. I'll make it very plain for you. I want to know why you think you can get away with a doubleheader like blackmailing Leona and murdering your own accomplice. Any comment? Yes, you're either stupid or a raving maniac, Now, listen, Marlo, No, no, you listen to me. Leona Peck is a good friend of mine, Marlo. I'm very fond of her. I'm not going to stand here and be accused of blackmailing her. And I suppose that talk of murder at 8811 Mariposa also offends, huh? It does. And until you mentioned it, Marlo, I didn't even know Leona's trouble was blackmail. And as for a murder at that something or a Mariposa, I have been here painting since I last saw you. Which who will swear to? Nobody. Ah. But if you will step over here... You can see that this canvas is pressed, that the paint is still... It was my chance. The second he got in front of his canvas, he forgot he was holding my thirty-eight in his hand. And as he talked, he pointed with the barrel like it was a paintbrush. When I was close to him and my right foot was against one leg of the easel, the time was right. Are you satisfied? Not quite! Mr. check. now since I'll also use this gun if I have to, get up! Stand over there against that wall. Come on! You're going to get a chance to tell that story again, Bruce boy, but this time to the police. And I... Hey, hey, Marachek. What? That painting there. That's Leona, right? Huh? Of course that's Leona. Does it look like a battleship? No comment. But also, Marachek, it looks like a lot more, and by that I mean the answer to who's both the blackmailer of Leona and Rhea Fleming's killer. Now I think I know. Apologies and farewell, Buster. You're nothing worse than a sucker. Yeah, but, but Marlo, I don't understand. Where are you going? To Leona's place. Friend Ramsey is due there at the moment, and that may mean murder again. So long, Rembrandt. Once I was off the mountain, back onto Laurel Canyon, then over to Sunset, and pointed toward Beverly Hills and Leona's house on Camden Drive. I kept my right foot heavy on the accelerator, and my mind working just as fast. Because no matter which way I added things, I was still basing a lot on a little. And a few important points shy of figuring the whole deal. Five minutes later, when I was parked and walking toward the door of number 94, nothing was any clearer. But then, it didn't seem to matter because when I glanced in a side window as I reached for the doorbell, I saw Leona sitting alone on the edge of the couch like it was going to blow up any minute. Her face, which was frozen in the half-crazed expression of the condemned man watching his executioner sharpen an axe, told me that Brother Ramsey was already present and probably out of my view with at least a gun in his hand. But since I'd gone this far on what I knew to be a very sorry case, I decided to play a chin out and hand tight over 38 in pocket. Who is it? It's me, Leona Marlowe. Oh, one minute, Marlowe. I, I look aside. Not a bad one, though. <laughs> Alone? Uh, yes. Yes, come in, won't you? I've been expecting you. Yeah. Well, I just left Mora check, Leona. I was wrong about him being your blackmailer, I mean. Of course you were. That's mm. what I tried to tell you on the phone, Phil. What finally convinced you? A picture. Uh, you mind if I sit down? I've been doing a lot of running around tonight. Oh, of course. Mm. What picture, Phil? Hmm? Oh, the one he did of you. I can't say much for it, though. No, it isn't too good, is it? Mm-mm. But... How'd it tell me the boy genius, wasn't it? Yes, I'm 
interested. Oh, you should be, Leona. It was a blouse you had on, remember? A white one with cufflinks. Cufflinks? Mm-hmm. Ebony ones, like this. The one I showed you when I was here earlier. One you said you didn't recognize. The one out of the set you must have given Ramsey as a present after Bruce Morachek was through painting your picture. The one that says the blackmailer of Mr. Ivan Pack is you, Mrs. Ivan Pack. No. And you killed Rhea Fleming, too. No, no, you're wrong, Marlowe. Why would I kill Rhea? For the same reason you denied recognizing the cufflink. You didn't want me to get to Ramsey, so oh, no, you killed wrong. Rhea before she could name him no, when I, I was at the cottage. And then you still couldn't get oh, me no. to Ramsey because if I pressured him enough, I'd have to find out his game was cutting oh, in on no. you because he knew you were blackmailing yourself. I heard enough. You're smart, Marlowe, very smart. But how do you think you're going to prove all this? Oh, answer me. All right. Ramsey figured you killed his girlfriend, Rhea. We sent him flying up here from no. Ivan's office. To no, the I man a bigger cut. Or maybe all of the 50 grand. I don't now know that you've graduated from blackmail to murder, I've been waiting and watching for him wrong, to make a move. Marlo, you're but wrong. if he hasn't, Leona, he must be dead. No. Here, in this no, house, probably no. in this room. And that no, Mrs. Pack, you won't be able to explain away. Now, where is he? No. Where, Leona? No. He... He's there, Marlowe. Behind the couch. I called Ivan Pack and told him he wouldn't have to pay the blackmail money and why. There was a long silence before he said goodbye and I went to police headquarters where an uncomfortable hour and a half went by before homicide was satisfied and Leona had signed a complete confession. So by the time I got over to my client's office on La Brea where I knew I had to go, it was almost 12.30. The hour originally set for the payoff. When I was inside and sitting next to the man in the wheelchair whose watered eyes never left my face, it was exactly that, straight up and down. A little clock in the corner of the room said so. Well, Marlowe, I just saved $50,000, didn't I? Maybe a little more than that, Ivan. Maybe unhappiness for years to come, huh? Yes, yes, I suppose so. Leona wanted two things, Ivan. Your dough and Bruce Morachek. She didn't get either one. The ten grand you paid the first time and the money she was going to get tonight would be a bait <laughs> to catch a starving artist. But I was wrong about him. He wasn't interested except as an artist. And your chauffeur and your wife's manicurist knew enough between them to try to get a piece of that dough for themselves. Yes, I, I owe you a lot, Marlowe. No. After all, I just said I saved $50,000, didn't I? Even though I lost the wife. Good night, Marlowe. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Sure. Night, Evan. Outside... The night air was clear, almost cold. Felt good against my face, so when I got to where my car was parked, I didn't get in right away, but stood next to it. Thought about Ivan Pack, the two people he trusted most, his wife and his chauffeur. One already dead, the other soon would be. I reached into my pocket for a cigarette and came out and stayed with a cufflink. The ebony cufflink, jet black clear through. I dropped it into the gutter where it belonged, then got into my car and went home. The 
The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, created by Raymond Chandler, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Mel Dinelli, Robert Mitchell, and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Edgar Barrier, Gene Bates, Larry Dobkin, Georgia Ellis, and Ron Brogan. The special music is by Richard O'Runt. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... I was hired to find a thief, and I did, a thousand miles from home. But first I found a hammy Othello, a lush with a luger, and a fresh corpse in the closet. All because the only woman in sight wouldn't play fair. There's gold in them trills when just a little bit later tonight, Sing It Again comes along, offering a grand prize of $52,000 to some lucky CBS listener. Phone calls will be going out to listeners from coast to coast asking for answers to the merry, tuneful riddle songs, which, if you solve one correctly, gives you a chance at the fabulous Phantom Voice Award. Tonight, it's 27,000 in wonderful prizes if you can tell who the Phantom is, plus 25,000 in cash if you can answer one more question about him. So stay tuned to CBS for Sing It Again, which comes along later tonight, and for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of the same CBS network stations. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.